Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com, code SUPER24. This week on Viewpoints. The technology is simple in a lot of ways, and we already have these issues. What's going to happen as it becomes more complex? We have to start thinking about this now. The field of artificial intelligence and its modern applications. Then... I was sitting there at the end of my 30s and being like, did I do this wrong? (laughs) I'm happy, but am I alone? The woes of sticking to the traditional timelines of adulthood. I'm Marty Peterson. And I'm Gary Price. These stories in-depth this week on your public affairs magazine, Viewpoints. You heard you could save big when you bundle home and auto with Progressive, so you went online to check it out. But then you saw a link for a survey about which type of bread you are. And now you're on question 17, barely scratching the surface of your bread identity. You always thought of yourself as a brioche, but are you actually more of a pumpernickel? Ah, yes. They said it was easy to save money bundling with Progressive, but they forgot about the rest of the Internet. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. If I'm not commuting anymore, where do I really want to live? While you handle life's questions, Merrill Guided Investing helps you manage your portfolio and invest for your next move with the option to work with an advisor at a low cost and minimum. Merrill, a Bank of America company. Visit MerrillEdge.com slash investing goals to get started today. Investing involves risk. Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner & Smith Incorporated, both a registered broker-dealer and investment advisor, member SIPC. Investment products are not FDIC-insured or not bank-guaranteed and may lose value. How many times a day do you rely on technology that uses artificial intelligence? It's probably more often than you think. It's in your home if you have smart speakers, or in your pocket if you own a cell phone. When you speak commands into your iPhone, Siri is able to recognize the words that you say and act on them. When you open up Facebook, Facebook can recognize faces and other objects in the photos you post there. That's Cade Metz, a technology correspondent at the New York Times and author of the book Genius Makers, the mavericks who brought AI to Google, Facebook, and the world. He says the term artificial intelligence was first coined in the late 1950s by a small group of scientists attending a conference at Dartmouth College. There, they brainstormed the endless possibilities of software that could act as a neural network to reproduce the behavior of a human brain. But what exactly is this artificial neural network? How does it work? The neural network is essentially a mathematical system that can learn a skill by analyzing data. So a great example is if you give a neural network thousands of cat photos, it analyzes those photos and it learns to recognize the patterns that define what a cat looks like. So in analyzing thousands of those images, it learns to recognize a cat. That's what's going on on Facebook when it recognizes 
you know, faces in your photos. Metz highlights that this technology goes further than recognition. Flip it the other way around, and it can generate text, images, sounds, and full dialogue from what it's learned. And these systems are always evolving as they process more data and get computer upgrades. But go back 70 years, and this level of machine learning was hard to even fathom. Back in the 50s, Cornell University professor named Frank Rosenblatt built a system that could do this, but only with printed letters. So he could print a giant letter A or a letter B on a large card, and the system in analyzing these cards could learn to recognize these printed letters. That worked well enough, but we didn't have the amount of data and the processing power, the computer processing power we needed to make it work with more complex tasks. And it would take decades, half a century, before we got to that point. Many of the early pioneers of artificial intelligence faced a mountain of doubt from people both inside and outside the field. It's hard to develop ideas when the technology just wasn't there to back it up. Yet today, it's a much different picture. The industry has leapt forward with many big breakthroughs, from driverless cars to the use of AI in prosthetic limbs and drug design. One challenge, however, is the ability for these machines to replicate human reasoning, which doesn't follow a clear set of rules. A neural network is very good at recognizing patterns and even generating its own content, but it cannot reason. And we still don't know how to build a system that can reason. And that's, as I alluded to earlier, that's one of the flaws in self-driving cars, that they're so good at doing so many things, but they can't reason. And it's hard for self-driving cars to deal you know, with those uncertain situations that require reasoning that we humans have. And even in these systems that are working very well in other areas, you know, it's not just self-driving cars, it's self-flying drones, it's other types of robotics. It's now, and this is an important area at the moment, systems that can understand human language and they, in some ways they can start to carry on a conversation. And they're good at carrying a conversation for a few turns, right, for a few phrases back and forth with you. But then it starts to break down as you get deeper into this conversation. Metz says that this ability to respond in real time like a human requires many factors like built-in reasoning, memory, and learned experience. But as AI evolves, there's also another conversation happening. How far do we want these machines to go? Everywhere we turn, it seems, there are these ethical questions, right? Now, the same technology that can be used to build a self-driving car can be applied to autonomous drones, as I said, and you can put a weapon on a drone. And the threat of autonomous weapons where humans are out of the loop, that's been a real concern for a long time. And there are companies that are pushing towards this type of situation, startups that are building autonomous drones, they're building them for the military, they're willing to put weapons on them, and it becomes a question of, you know, when do you keep the human in the loop? When do you use these and when do you not? And that's just one of the ethical questions. These systems, because they learn from us, essentially, right, they learn from the data we choose to give it, they learn from text that we have posted to the Internet over many, many years. We as humans are flawed, 
And these systems in learning from our data, they pick up our flaws. These human biases that are coded into the algorithms of machine learning systems are only exacerbated as the technology becomes more complex and human-like. In addition, much of this field is driven by tech companies in the private sector, like Google and Tesla, who have one goal in mind at the end of the day, profit. So much of the data that you need to build this, the processing power, and the talent, the, the researchers, the scientists you need to build this, they're inside these very large companies, right? They're not inside the government. It's a shift from years past. When it comes to just, say, autonomous weapons and this type of thing, the technology is inside the Googles and the Facebooks. It's not inside the DOD. And there are all sorts of concerns there, and there are efforts to kind of bridge that gap, and there's been some progress. But it's hard to deal with because the imbalance in terms of money is there, and there are other reasons that people are moving into industry as opposed to government. And the other big problem is there is, is that these companies have their own motivations, right? These are public companies that need to make money and they need to get technology out. And lots of times that happens at the expense of other things. Last year's election was a prime example of the immense power that tech giants hold. Platforms like Facebook and Twitter moderated the millions of conversations happening on news feeds and worked around the clock to stop the flourishing spread of disinformation sweeping across their sites. We've seen over the past four years what kind of problems that can bring, and the technology is relatively simple at this point. What happens when it's more complicated, right? These systems are starting, like I said, to generate not only their own images, but their own text. And that means, there are a lot of ways that, that can be used in positive ways, but it also means that we're reaching the point where systems can generate this sort of disinformation on a scale that humans cannot. And when we get to that point, then it really becomes dangerous, where the volume of disinformation is so great, and it, the disinformation itself is so good, it looks so much like the real thing, that we start to enter this world where we can't really be sure what we're looking at or what we're reading. Metz argues that the tech field is still somewhat divided over the controversies and issues surrounding artificial intelligence. A lot of people from outside and inside these companies have called attention to a lot of these issues. At the same time, there's a lot of conflict here, and people see a lot of these issues differently and from various sides. And you see that within many of these large companies where part of the workforce will come down on one side of it and the other part will come down on another. So we're definitely looking harder at this stuff, but the question mark certainly hangs over all this, and we wonder where ultimately this is going to go. Who knows what the field will look like even five or ten years from now. It could be an entirely different landscape than the image we picture today. To find out more about the field of artificial intelligence and our guest, Cade Metz, visit viewpointsradio.org. Also check out his book, Genius Makers, The Mavericks Who Brought AI to Google, Facebook, and the World, available online and in bookstores. For more behind the scenes, search Viewpoints Radio on Twitter and Facebook. This segment was written and produced by Amira Zuveri. I'm Gary Price. Coming up, what life milestones have you checked off when Viewpoints returns? 
Two nationwide surveys find that discrimination is a significant barrier to care for people with Alzheimer's and dementia. Half or more of non-white Alzheimer's caregivers report they face discrimination in navigating health care for their recipient. Dr. Carl V. Hill is Chief Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Officer of the Alzheimer's Association. The data suggests we have a long way to go to address lack of health equity in healthcare. More than 80% of non-white racial and ethnic groups say it's important for Alzheimer's care providers to understand their backgrounds and experiences. But fewer than half of Blacks and only about 60% of Hispanics and Asian Americans feel confident about their access to culturally competent providers. The surveys also reveal a lack of trust among Blacks in research clinical trials, and half doubt that advances in Alzheimer's treatments would be shared. These findings are part of the 2021 Alzheimer's Association Facts and Figures Report. Find out more at alz.org facts. Hey, we get it. You don't want to be hearing a progressive commercial right now, so let us tell you something you do want to hear. No one is funnier than you. People laugh just thinking about the things you've said. <laughs> I'm laughing at one of them right now. Coworkers repeat your jokes at the office, but they're never as good as when you tell them and shame on them for trying. There. Don't you feel better? You'll also feel better knowing you could save when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. <laughs> Although I'm sure you'd have a funnier way to say that. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. Does learning a language feel like this? No habla espanol. Hablo. It's hablo? Yes. It's hablo. <laughs> when you learn a language, you want to actually use it. Babbel is designed with that goal in mind. Since my husband is from Guatemala, I'll apply what I've learned in Babbel to our real-life situations. The app is so easy to use, and it's so practical. It helps you learn things that you will actually need. Babbel, language for life. Celebrating 10 million subscriptions sold. Now try Babbel for free at babbel.com. That's babbel.com. B-A-B-B-E-L.com. Career, marriage, babies. Sometimes life can feel like a hamster wheel that won't stop spinning. For some, this rat race to check off the box on each life milestone can take over their lives, especially if they're facing outside pressure from friends and family. But how does the typical life timeline of today compare to past generations? Writer Kayleen Schaefer has spent the last two years trying to answer this question. Before and during the pandemic, she followed eight subjects in their 30s in order to better understand some of the new norms and challenges people are facing. Schaefer is the author of the book, But You're Still So Young, How 30-somethings Are Redefining Adulthood. While young people today may have a looser agenda, Go back to the 1950s, and sociologists define different stages of adulthood by the commitments people made. The first step is completing school. The second is leaving home. Um, the third is marrying. The fourth is making your own money, establishing that financial independence. And marrying and establishing financial independence could be flipped. And the fifth is having a child. And that's a lot of things to check off. And if you're sitting there in your 30s, you may be thinking, like, I haven't done all these things. I'm not ready. I'm not sure. Or I'm not sure if I can get to these things. It's a very different place than for our parents or even people older than that, who those five milestones were checked off in their late teens or early 20s. So it's quite a different way of living through our adulthood. Today, a lot of people in their 20s see this period as a time to try out new things, meet new people, and work on their career or attain higher education. 
But in your 30s, there's still this dangling pressure to have life figured out for the most part. When Schaefer turned 30, she found herself prioritizing how quickly she could achieve these milestones. But as many know, life doesn't always take a straight path. I had barely established a career at 30, and yet I thought, like, okay, I'm going to establish this career, get this financial security. I'm going to figure out who my romantic partner is. I'm going to decide whether I have kids. Check, check, check. And early in my 30s, I got laid off from my job as a magazine editor, and that just blew everything apart. It was just sort of like, wait, the career piece that I was working so hard toward has just fallen apart, and now I don't know how I'm going to make the rest of my life line up. And that was a source of a lot of anxiety, but as I settled into it, it was also very freeing because then I could check in with myself and, you know, say, well, do I really want all of these things that I thought I was supposed to have as an adult, and I got to come to them when I felt ready. And because of that, they felt more right than just checking them off because I was X age. And Schaefer's not alone. There are several factors contributing to this delayed timeline. College can now cost tens of thousands of dollars, and higher education is often a basic requirement for a good-paying job. And once people do get out into the workforce, they face greater competition and carry more of a desire to feel fulfilled about the work they're spending much of their time on. Many people in their 30s want to have jobs they're passionate about. You know, they don't want to just work for 20 years and then have a pension. There's a push and pull between a father and son in the book. Marcus is not happy at his job. It's a good job. It pays him a good salary. He makes six figures, and he says at one point, you know, if you had told me in my 20s you'd make six figures and not be happy at your job, like my 20-year-old self would have slapped my 30-year-old self. I said, are you crazy? But he's sitting there with a six-figure salary and saying, does it matter if I come to work every day? I'm not doing the thing I'm really passionate about. And his dad is sort of like, well, why are you stressing? You have this good job. There's work and there's home and there's work and there's home and that's it. And Marcus is telling his dad, you know, I think there's more. I'm looking for more. All of these elements surrounding education and work funnel into the other life areas that young people think about, like moving out, settling down, and having a family. Looking at data from Pew Research Center, in July of 2020, 52% of young adults in the U.S. between 18 and 29 years old still live with their parents. The organization reported that this number surpasses the percentage of young people living at home during the Great Depression. During the pandemic, it has only intensified as you've watched young adults go back home if their school shut down, if they got furloughed from their job, you know, if they had to take a pay cut and could no longer make rent or pay their mortgage. And there's a lot of hand-wringing about living with your parents as a young adult in America, because that's just not something that we do. But I think as this becomes more common, I think we're going to look at the hand-wringing and say, you know, what was that about? Because it's not a bad thing to go to your parents' home if you need to save money, if, you know, you're at a pivot in your life and just need some time to figure things out, or maybe if you've had a romantic breakup and just need some support right then, or also, you know, if you've just had a child and need your parents' support. I mean, 
that's a great structure to have in place. And the hand wringing shouldn't be there if you're doing something smart by returning to your parents' home. In a lot of cases, parents are really glad to have their adult children back there. Once again, this shift in living arrangements affects relationships. It's no surprise that the pandemic has been tough on singles looking to mingle. It's also harder to have a romantic relationship if your parents are in the next room over. Schaefer says today, the average age of marriage for women is 28, and for men, it's 30. Go back 50 years, and most women got married at 20, and men at 23. I think women are leading this shift, although men, I think, are affected by it as well. But for women, marriage was the way you started your life. That was the first thing you did, and then you could build the rest of your life around that. And now we're seeing women, you know, get advanced degrees, want to establish their career first before picking a romantic partner, and their marriage isn't necessarily like the first milestone they think of when they think of, oh, what have I accomplished? What am I very proud of? And I think men are also coming to marriage in a more considered way because we're asking a lot more of our romantic partners, too. You know, It used to be you were a provider, and that was maybe the end of your responsibilities. But now, of course, that has changed. And, you know, we want our best friend. You know, we want you know, someone we're crazy attracted to, a good co-parent, and also to bring in a good income. Schaefer says that the current environment is challenging for many young adults. She's met people in their 30s who want to buy a house and start a family, but can't afford to do so. It does cause a lot of anxiety, and we do have a lot of economic insecurity, and there are a lot of structural things in place for us as workers that are impeding us maybe getting these lives that we want. And so, you know, there is that flip side. You know, it is great to have choices, but it is also, in some ways, some of the things we want, we may be saying that we don't want them or aren't going for them because we aren't actually sure that we can get to that place. Whether you're in your 20s, 30s, 40s, or beyond, get rid of the dread that's caused by comparison. There's no set rule book to life, and each person's story is different. It's a good thing that we've had this opportunity and these choices as we've gone through these decades and as we get older, because to live a life where you had no choices, where you were just pointed at one thing and told that's all there will ever be, would be incredibly depressing. And so, yes, something is lost. Every time you make a choice and narrow the direction of your life and you get older, but it is a great thing that it was ever there to begin with. To find out more about this topic and our guest, Kayleen Schaefer, head to viewpointsradio.org. Her book, But You're Still So Young, is available online and in bookstores now. For more behind the scenes, search Viewpoints Radio on Twitter and Facebook. This segment was written and produced by Amira Zaveri, studio production by Jason Dickey. I'm Marty Peterson. Viewpoints returns in just a moment. Limited availability of COVID-19 vaccines means testing will remain important for work, travel, and preventing disease spread. A recent national survey shows widespread confusion about COVID-19 testing. Less than a third of people surveyed know the difference between PCR-based and rapid antigen-based technologies. And more than half say it doesn't matter what kind of test you get. 
Dr. Manoj Gandhi, Senior Medical Director at Thermo Fisher Scientific, which commissioned the survey, says accuracy doubts could keep people from being tested at all. Nearly two-thirds of those surveyed believe COVID-19 tests can be wrong as much as half the time. PCR tests are designed to detect SARS-CoV-2 with high sensitivity. Understanding when to use PCR tests is imperative to knowing your COVID-19 status and safely getting back to life's routine activities. Nearly three-quarters of Americans say they'd choose a COVID-19 test with the most accurate results, even if they have to wait a little longer. Find out more at covidtestinginfographic.com. Welcome to Culture Crash, where we examine what's new and old in entertainment. This year, award shows have felt more unnecessary than usual, with the Golden Globes drawing 13-year low ratings and the Grammys hitting the lowest viewership number on record. Still, as they say in Hollywood, the show must go on, and the Academy Awards recently released its list of nominees. In what has been a tumultuous year both for all of us and for the movie industry, the list of nominees is, fittingly, quite a bit quieter than usual. There is no Black Panther or Inception-level blockbuster, in part because nothing was released into a situation conducive to blockbuster crowds. Christopher Nolan's Tenet may have been a blockbuster in any other year, but this past year has made such things impossible. Instead, we got a list of smaller, more personal films that many people may not have seen, but all of which are actually worth your time. That's right, unlike past years, I don't think there's really any bad movie in the bunch. This year's Best Picture Race is instead a stream of solid Bs and A-minuses. The favorites seem to be Nomadland, a drama about modern American nomads who live out of their vans and take to the highways to experience all of America, and Minari, a film about a Korean family immigrating to America and putting down roots on their quest to live the American dream. I thought both films were really wonderful and unique, offering a new perspective on the world. But those aren't the only two nominees that deserve people's attention. The Sound of Metal offers a look inside the hearing-impaired community. Promising Young Woman grapples with the complications and horror of rape culture. Judas and the Black Messiah tells the tragic true story of Fred Hampton, the chairman of the Illinois chapter of the Black Panther Party in the late 1960s. All the way down the list, this year's Best Picture Race is full of good movies about interesting and important topics. While award show viewerships are understandably dipping, this year's Oscar nominees are generally very good and are more diverse than usual. And if you're interested in watching them, all eight Best Picture nominees are available to watch at home through various streaming and rental platforms. The Oscars air on ABC on April 25th. I'm Evan Rook. Progressive presents an interview with your upstairs neighbor. My name's Barry. I live right above you. I don't host parties. I host after parties. They're like parties, only louder and nobody goes home. You can see right here I ripped out all the carpeting because it was holding me back my pogo stick. 
man's got a pogo. Oh, I'm a prankster. I'll grease up a soda can, and then when somebody grabs it, boom! <laughs> Progressive can't save you from your upstairs neighbor, but we can save you money when you bundle renters and auto insurance with us. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Bundle discount not available in all states or situations. If I'm not commuting anymore, where do I really want to live? While you handle life's questions, Merrill Guided Investing helps you manage your portfolio and invest for your next move. With the option to work with an advisor at a low cost and minimum. Merrill, a Bank of America company. Visit MerrillEdge.com slash investing goals to get started today. Investing involves risk. Merrill Lynch, Pierce, Fenner & Smith, Incorporated, both a registered broker-dealer and investment advisor, member SIPC. Investment products are not FDIC-insured or not bank-guaranteed and may lose value. And that's Viewpoints for this week. Viewpoints is a production of MediaTracks Communications. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram to learn more about upcoming shows. And find a library of past programs on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and Spotify. Plus, you'll always find previous segments and more information about our guests at viewpointsradio.org. Join us again next week for another edition of Viewpoints. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the new Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely-there fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. That means more comfort and less baggage. Experience how Allbirds is redefining comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S.com, code SUPER24.